Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Join me, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is what uh, is written. It says this, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Let me just pause right there and talk about the good news. We also know this as the gospel. Uh, what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. How Jesus came down from heaven, was 100% God, 100% human. He walked this earth for about 33 years, went to the cross, died on that cross for our sins, took our place so that we could be made right with God. After his death, he rose from the grave and a miraculous, miraculous feat was accomplished. Jesus defined the odds, making humanity right with God when they believe in Jesus' work. Incredible good news for a hurting and lost, broken, problem-filled world. And Jesus says, go and tell Go and share the good news. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Um, my wife and I, we were with some friends uh, not too long ago. We were having dinner uh, uh, downtown. And, and, and I'm convinced every uh, city has one of these individuals. They're known as a, a soapbox preacher. Um, now, let, let me just kind of frame it out. You're like, what's a soapbox? What's a preacher? I'm talking about the guy who has that loud megaphone, who has that portable speaking system. They show up to the city corner, and they just start reading the Bible. But they always focus on, hey, repent or you're going to hell. And they always say, and you're like listening there, and you're like, oh, I'm getting a little scared here. Like, what's happening? And, and we're at dinner and with our friends, and we're sitting outside, beautiful night, and we just hear this soapbox preacher down the way preaching and preaching and preaching. And an hour and a half went by. Finally, we were wrapping up the dinner. Our waitress walks over and, and she's like, ah, I'm sorry for those Christians. I was like, those Christians? Yeah, you and me too, sister. And I'm like, she didn't know I was a pastor. But she could tell that that individual, with all good intentions, was, was affecting the environment, not necessarily for the better. And so I sat there when she said, sorry for those Christians, me being a pastor, me being a Christian. Oh, I remember just kind of checking out, blinking out, and, and thinking, there has to be a better way to preach the good news, to share the good news. I mean, for goodness sakes, a, a soapbox preacher was known for like, back in the 16, 1700s, that soap would actually come into a box and they would stand in the middle of the city and they were actually good storytellers, good communicators. And so I remember just standing there and, and having dinner and being like, we got to do better. So I titled this morning's message, Get off the soapbox. You can't rely on 
old methods to reach a modern world. You can't just say, I'm going to do what I've always done and expect different results. I don't know if you've caught the news lately. The world's changing. Culture's a little different. People are a little more crazy. Nudge the person to your right and left and say, yeah, that goes you too. You know, right? We're in this new series called The Good News, Sharing Jesus in a Skeptical World. Sharing Jesus in a Skeptical World. We're going to talk a little bit about where we find culture, where we see culture, where people are really at in culture from stats, analytics. And for the next month, we're going to be discussing this. When we talk about what it means to share Jesus, we also talk about this term known as evangelism. For many of you, maybe you've heard that, you're familiar with the evangelist, you, you have that kind of dialed in, but evangelism and also known as sharing Jesus, quite simply put that way. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about how we need to share, what it takes to share, the point in how we're called to share. But it can be very challenging. Culture's different. People are suspect, skeptical, critical. They don't like Jesus. They don't care for Jesus. And yet we're still commissioned to tell about Jesus. So, Briefly, I don't know if you have anybody in your life. Do you know someone that needs Jesus? Do you know someone that maybe works that you're pray, that works with you that you need Jesus? Maybe a loved one around you that needs Jesus. Maybe a spouse around you that needs Jesus. Family, adult children need Jesus. Maybe your young children, grandparents, or parents need Jesus. And oftentimes, we see these people around us, we, they need Jesus, but we, we get really scared to tell them about Jesus. We get intimidated to tell them about re- Jesus. And here's several reasons why we struggle to tell people about Jesus. One, we don't want to be looked at, or we don't want to be considered the weird ones. We don't want them to, to think we are the soapbox preacher. We get worried about that. We struggle with that. Like, are they going to think I'm weird when we hang out as a family? We also see in churches uh, that when it comes to churches that, they, that teach evangelism in society are being considered wrong churches. Like, don't impose your faith on me. We see this when you look at the, the, the generation of millennials. They always get a bad rap and, and whatever. But, you know, millennials, the largest workforce... of them believe that it's wrong for you to share your faith, which is crazy because we have the good news, and yet you don't want to hear about the good news. We also see, you know, we don't, Christians, we we struggle to share our faith because we don't want to uh, be seen as judgmental. You ever watch a sitcom? You ever watch a show? Anything on TV? Any Office fans in here? Angela from The Office, she is known as the rudest, the meanest, the most hypocritical individual character of the show. And guess what? She's the Christian. So we get this rap, and then we see, well, hey, Pastor Blake, I'm... I'm not a professional. Like, uh, people will hit me with this. They'll, they'll, I'm inviting my friend next week, Pastor Blake. You better have a good message. I'm like, amen to that. I better have a good message because we're praying about it right now, you know? And, and so they'll bring their friend and they'll, they, they say, hey, basically, you need to minister. You need to preach. You need to save your friend. 
And I'm like, man, we're missing it. Church, it's so important this day and age that we learn to share Jesus effectively in a world that desperately needs the good news that he brings, the grace he provides, the love he gives, the completion, the restoration, the wholeness that he gives to each and every one of us when we believe in his good work. And so many times, we just sit there and we just let people around us that we care for, that we love, just say, hey, you can find Jesus on your own. Church, that's not this kind of church. We are a church that shares Jesus. We are a church that preaches to teach the good news of Jesus. We take responsibility to show people what it means to follow Jesus, to declare Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. We're not going to sit on the sidelines and say, hey, it is what it is. We're going to get in the game and say, our world, our community, Southwest Florida needs Jesus. I love how the late Tim Keller put it. He says, hey, don't worry about sending the fire. God will send the fire. You're responsible for building the altar. And in other words, you got to get in the dirt a little bit. You got to roll up the sleeves and you got to let people know that there's, there's some work and we have a responsibility to take Jesus to the ends of the earth. It's a commission that Jesus has given, one of his last commands for his disciples. So for these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about how to, how to engage our community, our society with the great news of Jesus, the gospel news. So you might be in here today and this is your first time hanging out with us or you might be far from God saying like, yo, I don't know about this God thing and uh, I'm just gonna give you some insider trading tips about how we're gonna talk to you about Jesus when you leave this place. So I'm glad you're here. Maybe uh, you need to kind of renew this thinking mentality in your mind. Maybe you need to ask yourself, have I shared Jesus with anybody this past year? There's some things that we're gonna be diving into and I want to encourage you. Let's be open to what God has in store. So I want to start here. When it comes to sharing Jesus, we need to share Jesus is a lifestyle. Sharing Jesus is a lifestyle. Sharing Jesus is what happens at the barbecue. Sharing Jesus is what happens at our family functions. Sharing Jesus is what happens at kid pickup, kid drop-off. Sharing Jesus is what we do at the workplace. Sharing Jesus is who we are at family dinners. Sharing Jesus is a lifestyle. When Peter, he's writing to his displaced church, they're being persecuted and, and they're running through the Mediterranean region. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He's trying to encourage them. He says this, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. And then he goes on, he says, Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So we're... we're asked, we're commanded that a, a follower of Jesus follows in Jesus' steps. And then after that portion of scripture that we just read in 1 Peter and in 21, Peter then goes on and he lays out, this is some of the characteristics, this is what Jesus has done. Let me just explain some. He, he says, one, he always trusts in God. 
That means, if, and then there's another part, and Peter clarifies it this way. He says, Jesus never hurled an insult or, or another derogatory word. There was no unwholesome talk that came out of his mouth. Jesus always modeled that even though he might have been, uh, he might have suffered, he still loved people. It's his lifestyle. Peter says, we're supposed to follow in his steps. And I think many times we think of telling someone about Jesus is something we do versus something we are. Let me illustrate it this way. I don't go around and saying, yeah, I have to be a husband today. Some of you might say that. Some of us, uh, you know, we, 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 don't have to go, we don't go around saying, I have to be a wife today, right? We say what? I am a husband. I say, I am a father. It's my lifestyle. It's who I am. It's part of my identity. So when we share Jesus, what we're saying is, Jesus is a lifestyle. Sharing Jesus is a lifestyle. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, we said the early onset of Jesus' ministry, the, the crowd in Capernaum is wanting him there, and, and this is how Jesus responds in, in, in his mission, in his lifestyle. He goes this, but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So it's this lifestyle we're called to adopt, follow, it's who we are, not what we do. I think oftentimes we think of sharing Jesus as something to do versus that really an identity component. Once I begin a relationship with Jesus, am I seeing the life change in my life and something in how I should live out my life? So when we understand it's a lifestyle, we start seeing, okay, what imposes or what impacts our lifestyle? Secondly, when it comes to sharing Jesus and part of our lifestyle, we need to recognize the power of community. Power of community. Um, show me the people you're around. I'll show you what you believe. Sociologists, the number one, what they call plausibility structure is our community. The people that live around us. The people that bring us up. The people that uh, help us with our traits and our thinking, we call these predetermined uh, uh, thoughts and beliefs that people uh, apply to their life. So you have to recognize the power, of someone's, uh, the power of someone's community. So the people you're around will impact your beliefs. Um, and it's important for us to, to understand that, to know that, because uh, I think a lot of times we think, okay, if I just talk to one person and it's a, a one-time thing and then they go back to their community who they're connected with and they're a part with and I go back to mine, it kind of, and we're like, why isn't this being uh, effective? Why isn't my evangelism, sharing Jesus being effective? It's because they're in a community that's not connected with who really Jesus is at times. They're, they're over here hanging out with their friends that don't know Jesus, don't care for Jesus, don't want to be a part of Jesus, don't like religion, don't like faith because it's an oppressant nowadays. And then we're like, hey, well, well it's fallen flat. I'm struggling. You've got to recognize the power of community. Let me illustrate it this way. I grew up in Missouri. Missouri, there was three sports that actually counted. Football, basketball, baseball, okay? 
This sport known as soccer was for the kids that couldn't make football, basketball, or baseball. Okay, like before you start throwing stuff my way, hear me out. So uh, that's how I grew up. That's how I was conditioned. All my buddies, we played these three sports. It is what it is. And then I went on a missions trip over to Thailand. We see this park, a couple of us, we have this, this basketball. We're like, oh yeah, all these kids will come and hang out with us. We're gonna really get our evangelism on. Like, you know, it's cool. And then one of my buddies bought a soccer ball. So we show up to the hoops. We start shooting hoops. There are a couple big dudes and, and there's like four kids around us. Like this park had thousands of kids. Only like four or five came and like said hi. And it's more so because I was hanging out with a 6'6 white guy in Thailand, which was a little crazy for these Asian individuals. And so we, we start playing hoops and starting trying to talk to these kids. And then my buddy who brought the soccer ball, we look over, guess who had a few hundred people around him? My buddy. Guess who became the world's best soccer player in my mind at the end of that 10-day mission strip? This guy. Why? Because I, I grew up a certain way that impacted my beliefs. But then I go somewhere else and you spend some time there. Then it's like, oh, that now shapes my beliefs. You, get, you, you following me here? You got to recognize the, the power of community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 5, we see Paul when he's talking to this Corinth church who they're struggling with some things and, and, and he leads and he's like, you can believe me because look at the community that I'm around. Look at who I'm going to speak about. Look at the individuals. Look at the 500. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. He says, he was seen by Peter. This is Jesus after, the, uh, after he rose from the grave. Seen by Peter and then by the twelve. So he's establishing community. Paul's, when he's writing this to the church of Corinth, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, this is Paul speaking, I had been born at the wrong time. I also saw him. So Paul makes a very clear argument that our community needs to be recognized, that we need to understand there's power in community. That's why coming up, circle your calendar right now. Put it in your phones. Invite Sunday, November 5th. We're calling it Invite Sunday. You know, a lot of times it used to be, you know, growing up that, hey, if I bring my friend to church, the pastor will do his thing. Hopefully they get saved. And we kind of reflect on like some of the old revivalist days. The church function is for the community. It's so that you have people who are maybe far from God. They get it plugged in. They, they worship. They see, hey, there's hundreds of people who are singing and praising Jesus. And I'm just not the, the lone wolf here. Because we recognize the power of community. We have to see that community impacts our belief system. So part of the reason that we say, hey, bring people to church isn't for the pastor to save them. It's so they get around a body of believers that can love on them, that can minister them, that can walk them every step of the way. And I think a lot of times we just say, hey, you know what? Hey, professional, do your thing. But I'm saying, hey, God's called all of us. Disciples make disciples. So it starts with our lifestyle, then it leans into our community, and then we use our community to evangelize. Use our community to evangelize. Um, I've had many experiences where I'll talk to someone, and uh, they, they come and have this radical move of God in their life. 
And then they get fired up. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. You're fired up. Jesus is in your life. You know, Jesus, yeah, he's the good news. He changes worlds and he flips everything upside down. And then they have this noble task. They're like, I'm going to go change my workplace. I'm going to go hang out in the schools. I'm going to declare and preach and proclaim Jesus. And, and they have the right intentions. The problem is the world will view them as the only one that believes what they believe. So it becomes, hey, it's me and 50 other people. Guess who's going to be looked at as the crazy person? Right? Like, they'll be like, dude, this, that's, that guy's intense about his faith. Like, woo, like kind of crazy over there. Hey, the point I'm, I want you to understand here is sharing Jesus isn't a solo event. It's, it's not something you just go and do by yourself when you're trying to form a relationship with somebody, when you're trying to share with somebody. I want you to put yourself in that position. If you have someone of another faith and they come up to you and they're trying to tell you, you know, their, their, their great lifestyle, why you need to believe what they believe, what are you going to do? You're going to take a step back and be like, nah, I don't think so. If one person in here comes and says, hey, I believe in UFOs, we're all sitting there and we're like, yeah, okay, you're crazy. But if 500 of us are like, hey, we believe in UFOs and that one person comes in and they're like, yeah, you might be onto something. Right? We, we see that. We have to recognize that within our community, we then in turn use our community to evangelize, to minister. We say, hey, I need buddies to come along with me. See, sharing just isn't meant to be a solo event. You're not supposed to die on the hill by yourself. You need a team. You need your church faith, family around you. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, uh, we see Jesus when he sends out the 72. The Lord now chooses 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs into all the towns and the places he planned to visit. So, so I want us to, uh, to frame this and, and, and capture before Jesus entered into towns, he sent people ahead of him. So it was, it was a sequential event. It takes time. That's why when we look at missions and, and missionaries, we, we say, you know, usually the first one never sees the harvest. Usually it's the, the time, it's usually it's the second, the third generation impact because it's a team event. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul's writing and he's talking to this church. Oftentimes when he would talk to this church, uh, Paul was an apostle that God used. And, and every time he would talk to this church, it was either about a theological doctrine, never a, 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 a thing he needed to address, never something that was there doing wrong because they were a commendable church. And they were planted within like a month. Uh, and, and God did incredible things there. And it was fascinating. And so when, when Paul writes about it, this is how he uses uh, the, the community, uh, his other co-laborers, to impact this, uh, the city and this region. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For when we brought the good news, it was not, and I want you to underline this word, we, for when we brought the good news, it was not only the words, but also with power. The Holy Spirit gave us full assurance that we, here we go, we said was true. And you know our concern for you from the way the Lord, for the way we lived, 
we right there lived when we were with you. So we see that when Paul's, one of Paul's most effective churches that was planted where people received the life change message of Jesus was a team event. So we start saying, hey, I got to make sure my lifestyle is lined up. And we have to say there's a power in a community that you need to be connected with a church community. That's just not a one-off event, that it's just not you by yourself, but it takes a team. Secondly, we need to use our team to evangelize, to reach out to people. I like to put it this way. Uh, some pastor friends of mine, they, they use a two-to-one ratio. For every two families, they, for every one family they invite over, they invite another Christian family. So there's always two Christian families for one maybe non-Christian family, someone who's far from God. And then they start talking about, okay, well, then we can talk with them. So they use a team to help people experience the love of God in a very real, effective way. I don't know if you've ever been in that scenario where you try to talk to somebody and it's pretty awkward by yourself, but if you go with somebody alongside you that's kind of in your same belief system and, and your, your, your life change of Jesus, it's a lot easier to approach one person, right? It's like two on one. It's like, hey, you got to hear us. You got to talk to us. I'll go golfing with guys. And this is what I'll intentionally do. I'll know someone that's maybe uh, they're distant in their relationship with God. So I'll invite three guys that I know have a great relationship with Jesus. And I'll say, hey, let's golf. Here's where this guy is. You guys know what we need to do. People are like, Pastor Blake, is that manipulative? I don't know. You tell me. Is their eternity going to hell or are they going to now go to heaven? Like that's, that's what's at stake. When we own it, when we say, hey, we need our community. We need our brothers and sisters to help us to be a part of it. Because church, we're not a sideline church. So when we see, once we label, once we start seeing our lifestyle changes, we recognize the power in community, and then we also see that we need to use our community to reach lost people, we then move into this area. And, and I want us to really concentrate here for a, a moment is this. We need to move, merge our Christian world and our non-Christian world. I don't know if you've ever grown up... Uh, it, maybe I'm tugging a little bit on those who um, grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. I had my church friends, and then I had my school friends. Like, my church friends were the kids that I went to youth group with, went to the, the kids' events with, went to uh, different things who my parents approved of. And then my school friends were like, I went to public school, were like, I don't want to introduce you to my mom because I know what she's going to say. And so I lived this, this double-minded life. Scripture is known as duplicity. And, and if you know anything about what Scripture says and what the writers put inspired by the Holy Spirit, that you, you can't operate full capacity the way God wants you to operate whenever you say, I'm living over here and over here. It doesn't work that way. So maybe you're out of school, you're not in elementary school anymore, but maybe it looks like this uh, for us adults in this place. Maybe you have your friends that, hey, you'll go to church with, but then you have your friends that you'll go all night out to the club and go drinking with. Or maybe it goes a little bit different like this. Hey, you have your friends that will encourage you, that will lift you up, and then you have your friends that's a gossip circle. Maybe it's those, those moments in life that you have to ask yourself, am I living a double-minded life? Because 
We can't be effective to share the good news when we're trying to be two types of people. In James chapter 1, we see James speaks into this double-mindedness and duplicity. He puts it this way. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty or double-mindedness is as unsettled as a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed by the world. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty, James puts it, is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Paul closes out and, 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 he, and he says this, and I'll, I'll close this in this verse. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he puts it this, so we are Christ ambassadors, representatives. We are people that are to carry the good news, to be an example, to be a part of a community, to understand there's power in the community, the need for community. And he goes on, so God is making his appeal through us. That's the altar that we need to make sure we're about. What are we building in our life? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So there's not living my non-Christian world and my Christian world is saying, hey, my lifestyle's all about Jesus. Do my actions line up? My language that I use? Do I trust in God in all circumstances? I want to talk about merging um, Christian worldview and talk about merging Two, two sides of it. I, I'm a pastor, and I'm as guilty as any one of us in this room. This is a place where we are imperfect people. Um, I, I, I picked this up early on in ministry. Uh, what I started to recognize is whenever I would hang out with people, and they would ask me, you know, one of the, the leading conversations you have when you meet people is, what do you do for a living? So anytime someone would ask me that question, I I would always hesitate because I'm like, how do you say a pastor of a Christian church and then not let the, the conversation go a little awkward, go a little quiet? Like people are like, dude, I'm hanging out with a pastor. This is awesome. So like, what's that mean? So there's been moments when people ask me, hey, what do you do? And, and early on in my, my ministry career, I would say, well, uh, I'm in sales. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Kind of, like, I'm like, uh, you know, I work for a church, a nonprofit. You know, I would say, I would try, I would screw that. And, 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 and I tried to live this, like, I don't want them to think I was awkward or weird or anything along those lines. Or, like, they're judging me, like, like it's Angela from the office. I didn't want them to have that impression. So I wouldn't tell people I was a pastor, almost like a little bit of a shame of it. And then I hung out with one of my buddies, pastors of a large church. And he comes up to me and this conversation is happening. And we're like, hey, do you tell people you're a pastor? Uh, you know, I was kind of justifying. He just let me talk. And he goes, man, I used to think that way. But now I discovered that I tell everybody I'm a pastor when I meet them. Hey, I'm pastor such and such. I'm like, dude, isn't that awkward? He goes, I love the awkward. I'm like, you love the awkward, bro? Like, like I'm, I'm not connecting here. And he goes, because they never know what to do. And then he goes on to tell me a story. He's golfing with this guy. And uh, this guy, for the whole round, is trying not to cuss. 
So he's like, I didn't know if I could cut. So, so finally, 18th hole comes. He, the guy shanks the ball, takes his $500 driver, snaps it over the leg, looks at the pastor and says, if you would have let me cuss. And the guy's just like, dude, I took him to lunch after because I said, sorry, you know? And like, I'm like, oh man. And he's like, I just learned to relish in the awkward. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like relish in the awkward. It's like, it, it, he kept saying like, once you learn that your identity is in Jesus, that it's part of a lifestyle to share Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, to help people walk alongside you to know Jesus. He says what happens is they start to ask the questions. The awkward to you isn't awkward to God. And there's a unique way of how conversation merges. And I think right now, as we march through in this post-Christian world and society and people not care for Jesus or what Jesus can do, it's important for us to understand that it's our identity, it's our lifestyle, that we have a community, that a church is built around to help people know Jesus, and that we're not supposed to live two different lives. So no matter where you're at in this place, I'm going to challenge you for these next five, four weeks leading up to November 5th. Who are you praying about that you can invite to church to see the community, to be impacted by a community? And for these next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about different ways and, 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 and lifestyles to live, qualities, tips to, to share Jesus. Because we all know somebody that needs Jesus. We all know people we care for that need Jesus. And it's our responsibility to give them the good news. Just how Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 28, one of the final commands he gives to his disciples. Go and share the good news. Disciples make disciples. So today, the first question I'm going to ask is for the group of individuals who don't know Jesus. Jesus, a uh, very quick snapshot of his life is but he came into this manger as a very ordinary person. And then he leads a, lot, leaves a, lot, leads a life of 30 years. Sinless, blameless. He goes to the cross. There's three ministry years. And he goes to the cross for each and every one. He dies for our sins. So that he fills these voids that we have, this, uh, this hurt that we have, the pain that we have, and we trust in and in his work, his substitutionary work on the cross that we didn't have to atone for our sins. And we praise him for that. And then we exalt him and we praise him because he's the king of kings. He defeated sin. He conquered death. And he made it available that we have a relationship with God because of what he's done. So my first group of people, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you know Jesus. That you love Jesus, that you encounter him the way that I have, that many of us in this room have, that you make him the Lord and leader of your life, that when you believe and you confess that Jesus is Lord, you confess your sins and know that he is the answer. Scripture says you will be saved. And at the end of our service, our prayer team, they'll be right up here. They want to walk with you. They want to talk with you. We have a connect card you can fill out to let us know where you're at so we can get you involved in our community. And the second group of people I want to speak to are those who've been maybe sitting on the sidelines. 
You got people hurting in your workplace. You got people who need hope. You got people that are, are struggling in your families. You got people who need a radical life change. Are you owning the responsibility of building the altar so that God can send the fire and radically transform someone's life? Right now, think of that person. When we enter this prayer time, think of that person and say, God, give me a boldness, give me an empowerment so I can share the good news that you've given us. Think of that person. Let's pray, church. God, we give you this time right now. We worship you. We praise you. We say thank you for allowing us to have a, a relationship with you. Lord, we're blessed beyond measure to, to know you. But right now, I'm praying for those in this place who are making a decision to know you. They might have a lot of hurts, problems, pain, questions. But right now, we are praying that they know you. And Lord, we're praying for us right now as a church community. Lord, we're praying that, that we make a difference in Southwest Florida, that we are believing for more that we are your ambassadors that you make your appeal through us so lord give us your holy spirit power to take your good news to places and to people to situations that we couldn't do alone god we need you but give us your empowerment give us your spirit to do that lord so, Lord, I'm praying specifically for those with the images of people that need Jesus in their mind right now. Lord, give us a boldness to minister, to share, to love, to show the importance of carrying your good news. Give these individuals your power, your spirit. Give you today. In your great and holy name, we all say. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.